millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast, Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller. And it's been more than three weeks since Category 5 Hurricane Dorian struck the Abaco Islands and then Grand Bahama, and much of the area still lies in ruins. In its wake, at least 53 confirmed dead and more than 1,300 people missing. AccuWeather's Jonathan Petromala was one of the first news crews on the scene. We're checking in with him to talk about the stories of some of the survivors he met who rode out the storm, about what was lost, what remains, and what more is needed. Stay with us. Well, I'm joined on the phone now by Jonathan Petromala. And actually, Jonathan, I'm catching up with you. My goodness, there's like one situation after another. I'm catching up with you at the time of this podcast on your way uh, east in southeast Texas, right? You've been following the flooding from Imalda. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. The last two tropical systems that I've been a part of from Hurricane Dorian, one of the strongest hurricanes ever to make landfall, uh, the strongest ever to make landfall in the Bahamas, to something that was barely named a tropical storm, but has caused some significant problems. Some of the worst flooding that Southeast Texas has seen since Hurricane Harvey. So it just goes to show how dynamic these tropical cyclones and systems are and and how many problems they can cause, whether it's the absolute catastrophic wind damage, catastrophic storm surge, to just immense amounts of rainfall. Right. It's been a really tough situation for them. Uh, Just east of Houston, I know Beaumont was pretty bad. Um, But let's, you know, I wanted to touch base with you and kind of catch up with you regarding the Bahamas and Dorian and and kind of recapping how bad was the destruction? Because I want to know also where we stand now. So can you talk to me about your visit following Dorian? Yeah, we were the first uh, journalists to be able to fly over and show the world kind of what Dorian had left behind. Um, Obviously, the, the satellites had shown us how powerful this system was. And so we, of course, knew that it was bad. But we had flown in, uh, still it was tropical storm uh, conditions in a helicopter. The storm was still kind of hovering over Grand Bahama when we were going into the Abacos. And from above right away, you could just, you kept double, kind of doing double takes at what you were seeing. Uh, Really well-constructed homes that you know were were built to really stringent codes and to see see some of the damage that they had sustained was, uh, was terrifying. But really what was scary, what we later found out was an area called the mud, an area that, you know, basically just planks and plywood where Haitian immigrants had had moved into and had been living was wiped completely away. And that's when you knew this was going to be a very, very tragic hurricane with a lot of lives lost because of that. The next day, we we were able to get on the ground and it was even worse because it was up close and personal. And you saw, again, that devastation and it was unrecognizable to people that have lived there for so long, just going a few blocks away from where they were 
they couldn't believe what they were seeing, even though they had gone through this. And, and to a person, every single person I talked to that they said they wish they would have left because they'd been through so many hurricanes before and they knew this one was going to be bad, but it was worse than they could have even imagined it would be. No matter what people were saying, meteorologists were saying, the descriptions of what was coming, nothing could even match how bad it was. When you're talking about winds sustained 185 miles per hour, gusting well over 220 miles an hour, and then you had storm surge 20 to 30 feet. The people I, I, I met and the people I spoke with, whether it's in the Abacos or Grand Bahama, I called each and every one of them a walking miracle because that's what they are. I don't know how they survived. Well, and the thing was too, Jonathan, was it was a long-term storm. I mean, it was it took a long time here over the Bahamas that they were hunkered down trying to deal with this. So that was different from some of the other disasters you've seen, right? And, and you can imagine trying to live through around two days straight of winds, 185 miles per hour damage that you really maybe typically see in a, a major tornado, a large tornado, an EF4, EF5. That's the kind of damage we were kind of looking at. And again, the homes there are built to really withstand hurricanes. They're a lot are very solid concrete reinforced with rebar. But I was seeing building after building constructed with very strong construction materials just crumbled. They, they were rubble. They, they didn't have anything standing. Wow. That's what was so incredible. And to hear the stories of how people were swept away by the storm surge and just miraculously either hung on to treetops, uh, grabbed onto a car and, and were just there for hours upon hours. Uh, the eye of the hurricane, actually, especially when it came over the Abacos, probably saved a lot of lives just because people that thought they were in very safe spots. And then when that initial eye wall came in and the storm surge came with it, uh, a lot of their shelters were crumbling, so they were able to reposition, and that's what saved their life because they were able to get to either higher ground or to safer buildings. Um, it, it's just, again, a miracle wow. that, that more people weren't killed in this. I can't imagine what that is like. So, you know, you've got really a window of opportunity just with the eye to get moving. Yeah, it's something you really don't think about, but in this case, it I heard story after story, people saying, yeah, the eye probably saved my life. They, yeah, I was able to get my family here or I was able to, to get out of this. Uh, I was able to swim to there. So, yeah, it was incredible. Wow. Do you have any particular survivor story that really just stood out to you? There's so many, uh, just so many survivor stories. I, I think the uh, I, I spoke to one gentleman. And again, when I when I met up with these people, we were the first kind of outsiders they had seen. And uh, so a lot of people wanted me just to take photos and video of them so their family oh, on yeah. off chance they might be watching could, could know that they were alive because they were cut off from communication for, at that point, about four days. And um, so just that's how I, I ran into a lot of people. And um, one gentleman, he, he and his family were trapped up to their necks in water with the storm surge. He was able to kind of swim out. He saw a large boat, probably a... 40-foot boat had floated into his front yard. Wow. So what he had done, he attached a rope to the, the bow of the boat, the front of the boat, and he is able to get his family and, and uh, a dog into that boat. And that's where they rode out the initial eye wall. After the eye came ashore, they were able to um, swim to uh, higher, higher ground and to a, a church that was uh, doing okay structurally. So that's how they were able to, to save their lives, though, was uh, riding out in a boat. He said he looked at the ignition. He saw that the keys were in it. So he said, if they have to, they at least could 
you know, maneuver with the boat, hopefully. So that was their best option, if you can imagine that. Wow. Well, I know you visited uh, one of your stops included the Humane Society there. I have a piece uh, from that story. Let's let's listen to it for a second. Then we can talk about it. And I saw coming into the building. Saw getting so high. We try to save some animals, try to get them on higher ground. Then I see like we had to try to save ourselves. Life and death. Honestly, because the water was coming so fast and it was rising so high, this was our only chance. Crying and screaming, and we know that they needed help, but we couldn't help them. That was the most heartbreaking. So, Jonathan, this was just one of the heartbreaking stories. You know, they thought they were safe there, right? So tell me about that situation. Grand Bahama most recently was devastated by Hurricane Matthew a couple of years ago. And that, up to that point, had brought the most storm surge, uh, the strongest winds, the most damage to to Grand Bahama where Freeport is. And so they thought they had seen the worst, as I mentioned. But that is also the island where Dorian sat for nearly two days. Fortunately, it was on the east end of the island. So it was away from Freeport, Freeport far enough that they didn't have the extensive wind damage that you saw in the Abacos, like the Grand, Grand uh, Marsh Harbor. But they did have extensive flooding to the point where... Unfortunately, the Humane Society, they weren't in an evacuation zone, so they were bringing in animals to board because there are no uh, pet-friendly shelters in the Bahamas. So people can't go to shelters with their pets, so they would board them in that uh, Humane Society. And unfortunately, water came up uh, 7 to 10 feet into many of the kennels. There were six employees that were riding the storm out there. Uh, but it got to the point where they tried to get as many animals to high ground as possible. They tried to open as many kennels as possible. But the water was rushing in so so fast that they had to climb to safety into the attic of the Humane Society. Two of those workers alone had three dogs there. So their own pets were being boarded there during the storm. So you can imagine they're hearing the cries, the whining, the barking, and just how horrific that would be to know these innocent creatures that they obviously love as an employee of a humane society and they're helpless to do anything about it yeah. while they know that water is, is rising there. So they're listening to that all night long. The two girls crawl down uh, when the water had receded enough that they could at least be at chest deep and they, they walk over, wade over to the kennels and miraculously their pit bull Libby had kept their other two dogs, these two little Shih Tzus on her shoulders during the surge and during the entire storm, she was able to kind of stand up enough and paddle enough and let these other two little dogs on their shoulders. So all three of those dogs were okay and they, they survived. Unfortunately, the number of dogs though, that did not make it, uh, the executive director told me around a hundred. Um, I've seen numbers that were far greater than that. But again, this is from the executive director to me in person. She said around a hundred dogs, unfortunately, um, were killed, including 30 that had been just boarded there by owners who had taken shelter else, you know, in, in a human just shelter. Trying to ride out the storm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously one of the tragic stories. Still a miracles happened from that story. But, uh, I mean, it was heartbreaking. It, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, mine too. I was too. talking with people. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I had, my eyes were kind of watering just hearing the story. And then, you know, it's interesting to me that some rescuers are not even human. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible the will to live, the the will to survive and how that the you know you, you speak to these people you're like how did you not give up after two straight days where you're trying to push against the door to keep 
the the wind uh, you know the the roof from blowing off or the room from collapsing uh it, it's just unbelievable another woman who she was in her uh, lazy lazy boy recliner uh, the roof collapses on her this is in marsh harbor she she wakes up she's uh, underneath all this rubble her husband doesn't even know if she's alive he tells their family dog princess a german shepherd go find mama the dog was able to crawl through the debris find a hole finds the woman sits on her lays on her trying to protect her for 17 hours wow. until finally people were able to to rescue her and um get her out from the rubble we got video of her and, and talked with her as she was being airlifted um to nassau where a lot of folks were being airlifted uh she has a broken hip, but she's doing good. So that's great. Great news. Good, good. Now, now, as far as responding to some of these island disasters, because I know you were in Puerto Rico, uh, you know, after Maria and how painfully slow recovery and restoration had been, you know, so what was it like here in the aftermath? How has the response been and how do you think they're doing? From what we, we speak to the Bahamians themselves about their government and their government response is poor uh, to say the least it's it's so overwhelming for them as a small a small nation you can imagine this is such a large-scale disaster that they just weren't able to respond in an efficient manner plus this is an island that is used to running a certain way it runs a lot with red tape and bureaucracy so just to get the aid there and as quickly as it was needed was virtually impossible for the first few days which you know is is so important because people of course, survive the storm, but sometimes the aftermath is is even more uh, difficult than the actual storm itself. So there was a lot of red tape, a lot of uh, inaction, a lot of uncertainty, but time and time again, and I, I say this from any disaster, people, normal people, average people from the United States, from all over the world, they came to help as quickly as, as anyone, more quickly than any government. And they got in there right away with uh, water, with food, charities like Samaritan's Purse, uh, World Kitchen with Chef Andres from Puerto Rico. They came in with food, some of the first food that these people had seen in in Marsh Harbor in three or four days. So you can imagine that. Um, but it was really just just the effort from from the United States as well. Folks coming over in boats, their own personal boats. They're flying their own helicopters. They're flying their own planes. Um, that saved a lot of lives and it had nothing to do with any governmental agency that the coast guard as well amazing work going in there with those strong hurricane force like winds to marsh harbor and evacuating some of the, the uh, worst injured um, early on after this storm saved a lot of lives as well and that was really impressive to see yeah i'm sure it would be now do you know uh is there any is there any way people can kind of help or donate that you know of in your travels there I mean, I, I think people really need to be smart about where they, they donate their money in any any disaster. Um, and you need to do your re, your due diligence, your own research. Uh, Charity Star, Charity Navigator, I believe, is a website that you can go to to look at that and to to see how much money and where's going, you know, where that money is going and what that money is going towards as well, not just administrative costs. And so I think that folks need to look at that and know that at this point, it's really about the money. Uh, the money is what really uh, is needed for this. And then at the very least, if you can, I mean, this is the there are two islands really affected by Hurricane Dorian, um, Grand Bahama and the Abacos, Great Abacos. If you can, if you're planning on going on vacation, maybe to Nassau or, or another island, 
that's another way to help because this is a heavily tourism dependent type of a, uh, a nation. And so, you know, you've got to imagine all the jobs that are being lost uh, right now and, and how many people are hurting financially because of that. So even just a simple vacation to the Bahamas would probably help. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for taking some time with me today. I know you got a busy day, Jonathan. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, join us here next week. We're going to have Paul Pastelock, our long-range meteorologist, joining us to talk about the upcoming winter forecast. See you back here then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.